Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Seville Library podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm very excited today, not because it's spring finally, but because it's National Library Month. So I brought in some library heavy hitters this episode to talk about why libraries matter in 2023, what librarians actually do, and uh, some of our favorite library experiences. So before we get into all that fun stuff, I do have some business I need to take care of at the top of the episode. Um, first thing is we're going to try something new with the podcast. We The What Are You Into segments that we've been doing in the past are now going to be a bonus episode that comes out next week or in between the regular episodes. So what does that mean for you? It means you get twice as many episodes. Hooray. And it means that the episodes we are putting out are going to be a little more focused. So... There you go. That's the first bit of news. The second is we are eventually soon going to be launching a web page for the podcast that's going to be on our website. More details on that to come, but that website's going to have a detailed breakdown of what we discuss in the episode, and it's going to have links to all the books, the movies, the games, anything we mention in the episode that maybe you thought, oh, that sounds like an interesting book. Well, we're going to have a link in the description right to our catalog so you can check it out right from the library. All right, business is over. Let's get into it. So this week I'm joined by our library director, Jen. Hi, I'm Jen Fowler, director of Save a Library. Thank you for having me, Alex. Thanks for coming. And I'm joined by Jonathan from our community outreach department. Hey there, Alex. It's great to be here. I shouldn't say from our, you are the entire department. (laughs) (laughs) That's all good, Alex. Man of many talents. And last but not least, I'm joined by Morgan, head of patron services. Glad to be back. Yeah, thanks for having you. You're all, our regular listeners have all enjoyed you on the podcast before, so no no first-timers. This might be the first time we've had all yeah, reoccurring. Yeah. We're all veterans so. now of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is getting long in the tooth already. We're running out of new guests. That's right. Um, so I, I invited you all here because you all offer a different perspective on libraries. Um, I should mention that I wanted to have somebody from the children's department here today, but They are always swamped, and it's hard to peg them down. So we'll get them on a future episode. But um, we'll try to talk about them a little bit as we go, too. We're not going to forget about the children's department. Um, So I wanted to start off by kind of talking about, you know, why why are libraries relevant in 2023? You know, you hear about it every once in a while from people who probably don't come to the library who wonder, you know, with Amazon and Google, why do we still need a library? So does anybody want to started off the conversation or anybody have any thoughts on this? Sure, Alex. I mean, from the community outreach perspective, uh, for me, uh, we are, or what I'd like us to be, is the cornerstone in our town where our community organizations can be highlighted and then where they can connect with each other. So we do that through all sorts of programs and collaborative partnerships that the community outreach office creates with our community. So things like working with the Sable Rotary Club and attending their meetings, and then the Sable Rotary Club helps us by sponsoring some of our programs and getting together with our initiatives that the library offers, doing things like collaborating with the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we're getting ready to have a, a booth at our uh, Sable Spring Fest. Uh, we're at almost every festival in Sable and uh, having a library booth there to uh, get the library out together with this community and participate in the life of the community together. Right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, that's something I wanted to talk about myself is, you know, I think a lot of people, their perception of a library is, 
if they really haven't been to a library in a long time, it's just a dusty old building that has just books and one librarian with her hair in a ponytail and glasses sitting quietly shushing people in the corner. And that is not what libraries are anymore. Not They haven't been like that for a very long time. Um, since like many, many decades and decades ago. So generation ago. Generate multiple generations ago. Thank you. So I think I think now, currently, the library is more about becoming, like you said, a community hub and not only bringing the community to us in, in new ways, but about getting out to the community too. Absolutely. So our our walls are not no longer uh, sure, you know, right, limited contained right here within our actual happen. building. We're exactly. yeah, we're going out to festivals, we're going out to farmers markets. That's right. All sorts of things. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think the library has a lot to offer going off of what Jonathan said, where now we have a library of things collection where expensive equipment that used to be or can be unaffordable for some people or they might be considering buying it and don't want to jump and make the investment can just check it out from the library for two weeks, test it out, see how it works and then return it. And no money spent on their part. uh, And it's their hard earned tax dollars that they pay to support our library every year that's going towards other services that besides having books and things like that. I mean, we all say in our, I think professionally that we're more than just books, but I feel like that message is slowly getting out to our communities more and more. I think we had the happy birthday signs last year that were a huge hit. I think I have purchased five of them now. <laughs> and they still are constantly like, it is, in the summer and the spring and the fall, it is crazy. And those are the signs that people can put in their lawns on their front. Yeah, exactly. Surprise people. Surprise people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the library mm-hmm. of things is, is great. I didn't even think of that, actually, when I was writing my notes for this episode. Um, I, I personally have checked out so many things from the library um, lawn games, you mentioned like spring's coming up. Mm-hmm. I checked out, what do we have? Cornhole, um, the frisbee one, croquet. Oh, uh, yeah, can jam. And yeah. Can jam, that's what I'm thinking of. But my favorite is mulke or mulky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. That's a real. Yes. Listeners, got it. You got to check that out this summer. It's like a Swedish like lawn bowling game, sort yep. of, but like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a really, really fun. Like I checked out every game we had, and that's the one that me and my my relatives kept going back to. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and we added a few more games to the collection for this season. So we have like a portable badminton net that's coming, and um, a few other fun things like bucket ball and spike ball is fairly new as well. So. I'm really excited to see um, our patrons are already getting excited. Someone came in checking out long games already today, and it's still below freezing at night. So. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan, that that is just so cool. I mean, in fact, uh, the last Summerfest that we were at over the summer last year, we actually brought our lawn games out to the Chamber of Commerce. And so our entire lawn game collection was out in the middle of Gillette Park in Sable helping our community. and. Uh, giving everybody a great time uh, out with a right next to an activities tent uh, and so you know lots of people saw all those lawn games and had a, a lot of fun playing them so yeah. and then they get to see see it in action come back and check it out at the library and bring it to their barbecue yeah and it's not just games stuff. and we have instruments uh, we have an electric guitar a bass guitar ukuleles That's right. uh, the drawing tablet was the other thing I was thinking of the Wacom tablets Ooh. so if you do you're an illustrator and you're interested in getting into digital art, those Wacom tablets are very expensive. Yeah. A mini cricket. Yeah, a mini cricket. We have a regular size cricket now too. Heat press. 
uh, play parachutes. I think it was 65 items were added over the last year total when yeah. we did the, the stats on that. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's crazy. We have and, one of the larger collections. Yeah, in Suffolk County. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't checked it out, really, it's worth looking into. Because sometimes you just want something, you don't want to invest in the money, or you want to try it out before you buy it. Come to the library, see if it's in our collection. For me, hearing you guys talk, I was thinking about, I've been working in libraries for nearly 30 years. Jonathan and I both are the uh, old timers here. And just starting out as a new librarian, I don't even think I could have, and I thought at the time I was pretty forward thinking person. I don't think I would ever imagine in 30 years I'd be sitting doing a library podcast. I wouldn't even know what that meant. I wouldn't know what a library of things was. I wouldn't expect to go to the library to get a notary. I, uh, you know, notary, something notarized. I would not expect to go to the library and meet with a social worker. Right. Um, right. All of these things that the Sable Library and, and many libraries are offering now are just, you know, I think libraries are just constantly reinventing themselves right. to come to the table with something that the community needs at that time. Whether it was finding ways to provide services during the pandemic yeah. or going back when Google first came around and everyone's like, we don't not gonna need librarians anymore. We have internet search engines, education, where you have education to people how to search properly, how to have verified sources. Um, That's right. The services for students have just exploded. We offer online tutoring mm -hmm. uh, every evening for that you can do from home, but that's through your library from K through college level, subject areas, right. English and Spanish. A lot of people, it's called brain fuse. A lot of people don't know about that. So all of these things, you know, sometimes you get to a point where you think, all right, what else can we really do? And lo and behold, there's something else we can do. Like, you know, so it's, it's exciting. It's never, a, it's such an exciting profession to be in because you just don't know what's around the corner. Um, and it's just so, I, it's really heartwarming for me to see librarians, how they rise to the occasion and they mm -hmm. figure out what can mm -hmm. I do for my community? What can I do for my staff? What can I do for my building? Um, and we're really lucky here at Sable to have such a great staff. I can say that and I mean it. Yeah, and I like that you bring up like we pivot with the with the times, with everything. Yeah. I That's mean, right. That's you right. think about it like when the internet first came out, where did most people get their internet access from? The library. That's right. That's we were giving out morning. email. Everybody was had their email. Yeah, the suffix.ny.net. Sure. Yes, the old <laughs> yes, and it was um, dial up. You know, yes, it was. You could do that from home, and it was free from the library. Yeah. And now, that's right. You know, the modern version of that is we're lending out Wi-Fi hotspots. Exactly. We're very focused on digital access and digital inequities, and you know, just mm -hmm. addressing those issues so everybody has access to information on an equal level. And libraries are constantly rising to that occasion. Mm -hmm. That's so true, yeah. Jen. You know, I think that the library really does its best work when we go out into the community and when we listen. And when we find out what those community needs are, we come back and we've got a lot of fun and very creative minds on our staff and we say to ourselves, okay, so here's a need in the community. Now, how can the library step up and meet that need? And that's where the magic of what we do, I think really starts to ignite and it gets exciting. And then we come up with a new service right. that we get to roll out to our community. So it's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah, and I think it, I feel like library staff as a whole too have gotten uh, they were probably always very good at it, but I feel like more so I see now, especially like as in my position, I interact with the public at the front desk, like one of the first people that they yeah. see. 
if I'm at the desk and someone's returning like a library of things item or they're asking about a museum pass or they're signing up for a library card, I'm like, well, you know, what did you think of it? Do you have any suggestions of how I could make it better or things like that? And people are always willing to give good feedback. And then you just take that and you improve upon what you already have. And I feel like yeah. we've done such a good job of that over the past 10 years, at least since I've been in libraries. Very true. Yeah. Very yeah. true. I think the, the modern library or the library of today and where libraries are going to go is they have to evolve quickly. And I think that's going to be mm-hmm. a big part of libraries going forward is uh, getting feedback from patrons and quickly adapting to their needs as that arises. 20 years ago, maybe longer than that now, library 2.0 is when the, the internet and everything started rolling out. Libraries quickly adapted, getting public computers, internet, true. Wi-Fi, yeah. even switching over to a huge new jump in uh, in the media from VHS and uh, to DVDs and Blu-rays and everything. You know, downloading and streaming. And then exactly. yeah, exactly. Now, you know, streaming and uh, Libby and everything is taking off. That's right. Uh, Twenty That's right. years from now, it might not exclusively be that, but who knows? You know, it yeah. could be. And Hoopla, I can see. I, I see all the stats on those. You know, mm. Libby is a constant downloading uh, ebooks and audio audio ebooks is moving mm. at the, the the highest clip, but the line is set every year, month to month. Even it's very rarely do you see a flat line or a decrease. The increase just keeps going higher and higher and higher for Libby, and for Hoopla as well, which is videos on there and as well as ebooks. Um, but those services are are being used and. It's our jobs to get our jobs collectively to get the word out to the community because right. going back to your point, Alex, in the beginning of it was a lot of people don't use the library. They don't. They think they have a vision of it, and that's fine. That's a, a quaint little image, and yep. there are women here who wear buns and wear glasses and sit behind a desk, but they do so much more, and so many people are so surprised and i know we've all had the patron that comes in and it's like i haven't been in a library do you still use the dewey decimal system shocker <laughs> we do <laughs> spoiler spoiler alert we still use the dewey decimal system yeah. but when i started and i'm sure when jonathan yeah. started we were actually using uh the physical cards the the card catalog yes actually we was were a card catalog um it. now it's an online opac mm-hmm. online what is it for again? Online public, public access, access catalog. catalog. That's right. So I we we lived through that transition of yeah. libraries automating. That yes. was probably the first pivot yes. that into technology was libraries actually becoming automated, and then it just kept going from there and just moving, moving. And when you become, there's some classes you can take uh, to help you become a library director. And one of the things they ask you to do is prepare your elevator speech. So if you're ever in a situation you know, or in an elevator or anywhere where you have an opportunity to give somebody the information about your library because they haven't been here in years or they haven't been at all. Uh, so that you've got to sell that to them. Like, why do you want to come in here? Because you're missing out. And the elevator talk usually should be two minutes, right? However long it takes to be in an elevator. It's really hard now to fit it in an elevator talk because there's so many things, right? That's there's right. just so many things that we just mentioned. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so we can each have our own elevator talk. It would be completely different what we talk about, and each one would be extremely valuable. Yeah. So. I feel like yeah. it's almost like the elevator pitch now is, what does a library not do? Yeah. Right, right. What are we not doing? And then if we hear that, then we're like, okay, let's add that in. Let's figure out how we yeah. can do that. 
Exactly. You know, when you were talking about the elevator speech, Jen, it, uh, my mind went to, you know, what would I do in that situation? And I think from the community outreach perspective, I think what I would say to that person is, you know what, tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me a little bit about your family. And like, that sounds like kind of very therapeutic, like maybe counseling or something. But the reason I would ask that question is that, you know, truly, no matter what the background of the person is or who they have in their family, our building has something to offer them. Our virtual storefront has something to offer them. And, you know, my next point to them would be, so why pay for some of that stuff on yeah. your own? And meanwhile, like you have a library card with the world open to you on that. So take advantage of that. Don't pay for some of those things. Come to us. My goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you don't even have to actually physically come to the library for some of them nowadays. That's right. That's right. Libby, Canopy, Hoopla. Yep. You know, there's no... Or even a reference question, Alex, you can yeah. go on to... You can go on our Go chat. onto our website, go on to chat. Or, you know, you actually can use a phone and call us too. So there's... Or email us, right? So there's all... We have all these points sure. of access that um, hopefully somebody no matter what where they are in their at their life or their exactly. you know their economy or their age they have a way to access us and and the services we provide exactly that's an excellent point jen about the library making sure that we are accessible that we're open to everyone no matter your ability your age uh, or your location in the world. We learned that coming through COVID. We can help anyone from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our library is here for them. So that's the that's the exciting point. That's like when our librarians put on their super capes and we do our best work. <laughs> when, you know, when people show up from, on whatever media they come to us on yeah. uh, and then uh, ask us a question. So we're... we're and even just the, even going back to some basics of... Um, providing you with the best-selling books, right? Yeah, and movies. Exactly. You know, we're still exactly. doing that to, uh, you know, feverishly all the time. That's right. And being a place for the community to congregate, you know. Uh, there's the third place model where you have three places in your life that you should be comfortable, your home, your work, and your library. There so we luckily go. Luckily, we have <laughs> something we have to, <laughs> we can knock off two with uh, one stone there. Yep. Uh, so making that library your third place mm -hmm. and Jonathan works hard with our community partners. All of the organizations that use our facilities for their meetings are, you know, there's something happening pretty much every day. That's meeting right. room is booked That's by right. community groups, by a scouting group. Mm -hmm. um, where else would they go? Tutors, where else are they going to go? You know, when they need to help, they're here at the library helping um, you, the community students get through their homework and study right. for the SATs, you know. So all of these things, you know, when you look at them individually, you might be like, oh, that's great, that's great. But when you put them all together, it, it, it can it's almost overwhelming. You know? Yeah, exactly. we, we do a lot. We offer a lot of services, but it only takes one of them to mean the world to somebody. Exactly. You know, some, when I was in college, I just needed a quiet place I could go to do work. I couldn't do it with my four roommates in my tiny apartment. <laughs> right. Like, right. I just needed quiet. a quiet place with, with Internet. You know, that's all I needed. Yep. Now, as a parent, I just need a place I can take my kid for like an hour to calm him down. Like, yeah. he come here, he plays with some trucks, we read a book. That's right. a whole afternoon right there. That's great. You know, it's, and it, there is a service. There's something here for everyone. I, I don't true. care what your age is. I don't care what your interests are. There's something here for everyone. We have the Seed Library. Yes. We have technology courses. I'm teaching kids how to make their own video games right now. Right. We have we had a class come in this morning. They're grabbing seeds for their the class, the middle school right across the street. They're probably going to do some gardening program. I don't even know. They didn't we ask. Have, we actually have a garden 
in our own backyard where we grow food and we goes into our community goes into our little, little free, free food pantry that's right that's exactly right and even alex let's not um let, we could start talking about it because it's going to be coming really soon is the library's new maker space hopefully within the next two months will the room will be complete the technology lab is being technology lab is being transformed into the makery the library's new maker space which alex will be We'll have to drag him out of there. I think he'll be in there all the time if you're looking for him. And that's going to include some really great cutting-edge technology for mm. all of our patrons, from little kids to senior citizens. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to be having classes in there, and we'll have, through, you know, we, some of the stuff Alex is doing now, it'll be a much more conducive environment to create yeah. and learn about technology and art and I'm really excited. I'm really excited for it. And, it's again, it's going to be a place for all ages if you're – if you're a digital artist and you want to learn about Photoshop, come on in. We'll, we can help you out with that. Mm-hmm. If you want to make three modeling programs for a game you're designing or you're an entrepreneur and you want to make a 3D prototype, we'll have 3D printers. Maybe someday down the line we'll have a laser engraver. We can start, you can start your own Etsy shop. Exactly. Uh, you can make a gift for Mother's Day. You know, engrave her photo on a, on a plate. We'll have the Cricut machines. We'll have sewing machines. You know, it's, it's going to be... A, a place you can go where you don't have to own all this expensive equipment. You can just come in with an idea and there will be somebody there to help you have that idea become a reality. Exactly. Love that. Now, who could have ever envisioned that? Yeah. Ten years ago, even, Very that true. that was a thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I heard the word makerspace. It took me, I was like, what is a makerspace? Honestly, probably a solid year before I could even get wrap my head around mm-hmm. the concept because mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. so such a new concept relative to our profession. Exactly. Um, but now it's so commonplace in libraries that uh, if you don't have a makerspace, people are like, "Where's your makerspace?" It's kind of like it became. <laughs> it used true. to be like, "Where's your bathroom?" <laughs> then it became, "Where's your coffee machine?" And "Where's your snack machine?" And now it's like, "Where's your makerspace?" So in libraries, like, okay, then we got to do that. So we're gonna we're gonna take care of that, and that's exciting. And you know that that's so true, Jen. I, like libraries have truly become the place where you can grow. I mean, we're doing so much now in the realm of technology education, especially with this huge investment uh, in in what's coming out in the makery here. You know, uh, we're helping people start to grow their own personal skill set. You know, especially with regard to technology. So we're adapting that way from from the community outreach office. Who would have ever thought that we would have a social worker in our building who's facilitating a recovery group right. every Thursday night? That's life changing yeah. for some people to to come to a place that's safe. And you know, our place actually isn't a physical place. Our recovery group is a virtual space. It's run on Zoom. And uh, anyone can join our recovery group any Thursday night by clicking on any Thursday on our program calendar right off our website. And the link will open up and there will be our social worker and there will be a group full of people talking about any number of, of life issues that they're going through and working on the recovery process through that. So who would have ever thought you know, that we would be a place where you can grow technologically and then we could be a place where you could grow personally and emotionally. And that's the exciting cutting-edge stuff that's happening at the library right yeah, yeah I, I'm glad you um, you mentioned the social services uh, mm-hmm. the social right. worker rather right. um, I was listening to a, a TED talk from a librarian a few weeks ago and uh, he was saying how the library has kind of become it, it kind of fills the gap where other social services don't uh, exist yeah and yeah. Uh, I always before I listened to that I always thought of the library as sort of like a safety net in a way where 
Right. A lot of people just they have nowhere else to go to get an answer, and you know, there's a library in every almost every town, so you can go there, yep. and somebody will, if not provide the answer you're looking for, at least get you on track so you can get That's to right. where you need to go. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, that used to be like the bread and butter of of librarianship. Years ago, you know, you you check out books and you go there to ans- ask, you know, what's the capital of Uruguay or something, you know, or, or <laughs> you know, where can I find uh, the social, whatever, civil service department or something. That's right. That's right. But, um, you know, we're still doing that. And it's it's really fulfilling as a librarian to help somebody who you, you know that this is the end of the line for them. Like, if you can't help them, like, that's it. They're either just going to go on without ever getting that answer. Right, right. Or, you know, something... You know, they might be in a worse off place if you can't sure. get them to where they need to go. So sure. when you can kind of turn them around and they leave a better And then, I know, person. Morgan, you want to say them. I just wanted to jump in so I don't forget to say this. Yeah. And that really speaks to the importance of librarianship as a whole, mm. um, that we all are <laughs> trained professionals with master's degrees and understand how important it is to get correct, accurate, quick information to our patrons, um, especially some that are at high risk or um, need services quickly. And so thinking about the library as a safety net is is kind of accurate, but it's almost like now you have to think of the library as a bridge because we're bridging these people to their needs. Um, That's right. And a lot of times that's outside of the library building, but that's fine because they would never be able to find the bridge to begin with if we weren't able to point that on them. And that's speaks to the training and the education and the continued education. And, um, you know, I think our staff here, uh, the librarians here, are very avid learners. Uh, We've learned so much about them through this podcast alone, how interested they are in life learning. And, you know, in addition to professional development, it's it really gives us a well-rounded and I think the expertise is really important to ex- to 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 mm. emphasize that mm. you know the staff really is um, able to get you to where you need to go. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. just to piggyback off of that, like I have been in situations as a reference librarian in my past where people are like, "You are the last option. If you can't get mm. me the information or get me a resource or in touch with somebody that can help me yeah. in my situation, like I'm on the street or." you know, I'm out of options. And it's high pressure. I mean, obviously, as a information professional, but it also feels very rewarding when you know you can deliver on that. That's right. And you know, you can give them the time and care that they haven't been receiving the whole time until they come to you. Right. And I've always enjoyed that as someone that's been a public servant in multiple different capacities before I was a librarian, that there is like that gap. There's always going to be that gap between certain services that people are entitled to, but it's hard. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of lines. They might not necessarily understand how the process works, and they just need someone to take the time to explain it to them. Right. And and that's our job. Part of our job is to have the understanding and the ability to explain it in a way that someone can understand and be like, okay, these are your next steps. This is how you can move forward with this. I mean, I've helped people with, like, all different types of things, like how, like um, Section 8, like, waitlist applications yep. and stuff like yep. that. Where Job maybe, applications, right? When 
Yeah. People don't really aren't comfortable filling out an online job application. Exactly. Um, so I'm sure we've all done that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. someone that's laid off that now you need a resume to apply for any job. And this particular person w- operated a forklift. That was right. his job. He had a license to do it. And he had gotten laid off and he needed a resume in order to apply for any jobs. And he didn't know how to use a computer. And he was like, I don't have anyone that can help me. Can you help me? And then... You know, we did like an appointment and sat down and got him set up and everything like that. But well, think about all the yeah. services that Jonathan uh, brings in, um, and, and we really are not claiming to be an expert on 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 any of it. But we right, know right. how to get the expertise. That's right. To our right. so, for a perfect example is the veterans. How much information and and resources are available to veterans that don't always take advantage of them. Um, money that's due to them, but sure. they don't know. Sure, services right. that they're not services, aware health, of. Services, mental health yeah. care. Yeah. Um, exactly. So Jonathan really works closely with the veterans community yeah. uh, to be certain yeah. that here we are at the library. She, he has tables, right, set up? At the, Absolutely. Like coming up, we have supportive yeah. services for veterans' families. Uh, they'll be here in May and June. And then uh, we also have the Joseph P. Dwyer Project. And the Dwyer Project does amazing work uh, with veterans that have experienced traumatic brain injuries and also emotional disorders as a result of being in combat and you know it's very exciting and it's truly rewarding when we can have these organizations that are so helpful right here in our lobby right where the public comes in so that when people come in uh, they can they can get help easily and, and quickly and that's that's like what you were saying Jen connecting people with the experts like we may not know the answers but we know the people who know the answers right. and we can get them here like for instance uh, you know with our, our gentleman that we were speaking about just now that needed the resume I mean we have yeah. a career counselor that comes to us believe it or not through Long Island Cares one of the largest food banks on Long Island and uh, we have a regular presence of a career and resume counselor here at the library and that was done through a partnership with a with our food pantry so yeah when we if we don't necessarily have the expert on our staff we'll find one and then uh, we can get them to table here at the library so it's exciting stuff We're yeah middleman <laughs> professional middlemen yeah and women. <laughs> little um, people like. <laughs> so just to kind of tie it back to the a question i posed initially at least with uh, you know the advancements of technology why are libraries still relevant so i think a lot of people think that technology is taking away the job of a librarian when in fact it's enabling us to do more you know we don't have to go search through the card catalog and then go get climb up a ladder to go find a book anymore and you know zip zip quick search find the book boom boom so what are we doing with all that time that we're saving we're offering more services. Yes, exactly. And, oh, you're not just exactly. sitting at your desk reading? <laughs> no. I, I hear that a lot. They I just, just listen to podcasts. I'm doing research. Listening to podcasts. <laughs> 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 just reading books. Yeah. So I, I was going on our website today just to look, and uh, under more services, the list just keeps going and going. And I was adding, I was about to add another one to, you know, if there you want to book the podcast recording equipment, right. just you can fill out a quick form and you can book... Th- the studio that we're recording this podcast in right now to record your own podcast. And guess what? There's somebody on staff who has made a podcast and can help you and show you how to edit it. Oh, and we also teach classes on how to do that too. So the more time that we gain from these advances in technology, we're just doing more. That's right. So I think that's just an important key thing to take away. And just the flip side, right, of technology is that um, there's a lot of consensus that, you know, there's especially young adults and children that 
they're spending too much face time and, and involved too much in technology. And now everybody's trying to pull back from technology in this aspect. And we offer that too, right? So you can come in and do a story time and let's talk about children's a little bit because yeah. they're, they're not represented in the room and we want to, they really are the cornerstone, the foundational cornerstone of our mm -hmm. library users because mm -hmm. we get them young and we hope they become lifelong library users. Um, and it's really uh, how many kids were really affected by the pandemic of not being able to congregate, you know, your toddlers yeah, and your, sure. your, you know, and having, we did virtual story times and virtual get togethers with the kids. It's not the same, but now that we're back in person, um, how important that is for just kids to congregate and even for young adults, teens that might not necessarily feel they fit in anywhere else. This is a place that they can feel safe. And yeah. I didn't want to feel, forget, didn't want to forget the teen department. The teen department yeah. as well is, and I was a teen librarian, <clears throat> excuse me, for most of my career. So they, they do hold a special place in my heart. And um, it's such a pivotal time in their lives to have a place where they can just be and find out about, you know, a new interest or maybe an old interest, but they didn't know how to act on it and, you know, learning True. about stuff. So it's True. really important to talk about that part too. It's not, you know, as much, and I love technology. I love my phone. I love all of it, but it's really, that's not a big part of us is just being a, a communal space and people for people to get exactly. together and be, exactly. even if you're not talking to the other person, there is something, Alex used to go to the library to study uh, a quiet place, but it also, it's the environment that you can be in, even if it was quiet, if there's another person studying at the table next to you, like there, it's still some kind of communal feeling about that. So right. uh, it's, right. you don't really get that any, that library feeling anywhere else, but in a library that right. I can't think of another place that you would get that feeling of, you never feel like you don't belong when you go into a library. Even right. if it's the it's first right. time you go into a library, you're like, okay, this is good. I feel like I know what to do here. Even if it's just sit at a table, like, you know, you know, it, it's great. Yeah. And you know, when, when you were talking about teen gen, one of the, the most beautiful things that I think that our teen department helps our community with is providing our community with so many community service opportunities yes. right yeah. through the teen department. What a great way to help our kids become community minded and you know kind of like good neighbor minded that you know there are people that are in need all over the place and yeah. how can they fit into that picture and be of help to somebody else in their community that's experiencing need and um, you know our teen department just does such an amazing job newsletter after newsletter jam packed with all sorts of community service opportunities and that's exciting to see you know for our kids because we're we're helping raise them you know to be a bit more you know gracious in their mindset so towards people around them. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. exactly exactly Absolutely. and they feel welcome when they come into teen you yeah. know so that's that's exciting work that they're doing all right let's um let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about what it, what is it a librarian actually do like what does your day-to-day -day job look like all right we are back so we talked about all these great services and everything but what is like what does a librarian actually do if they're not just sitting around at a desk waiting for people to come up and ask them for the latest james patterson book what does a librarian actually do so we have i already talked about it hinted at it, at least in the beginning of the episode we have many different departments each department is a little specialized in in one area of, of what the library can offer um, the children's department obviously they they handle kids up to about how preteen fifth, grade? fifth, fifth grade? grade yeah um, 
We don't have a representative from Children's here, so maybe we can all talk about it a little bit. Um, they do a lot of programming, probably two programs every sure. morning at least. Um, everything from toddler's tango to an art class, crafting, uh, story times, everything. There's Promoting always... early literacy. You know, yeah, that's, that's a huge idea. topic. Yeah. You know, giving kids the, the chance to begin their, their literacy skills before school. You know, uh, helping them enhance what they've learned in preschool and exploring that here at the library. You know, another beautiful thing that they do is just work with families, you know, that come into the children's reference desk. And, you know, there may be a myriad of issues that they entertain right at the service desk. You know, there can be even things like, I'm having this issue as a parent. How do I find information on parenting my child through this particular issue and so there's a whole parenting collection full of resources to help parents navigate all sorts of different life issues and uh you know and they're they're so fast and they're so gracious down in children's to you know not let the patron feel like they have to explain everything out in front of everybody else that might be behind them at the reference desk and so the children's librarian can negotiate what the need is so quickly and then say you know what i have just the right resource for you come on over this way and they do beautiful work i was just going to say the one thing that they do a lot more a children's librarian will do a lot more than i'm an adult librarian i work up in the adult floor is reader's advisory yes oh yeah challenging (laughs) when you're not a children's very very it's a lot because yes. books come out a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they're shorter, so but still, there's the volume compared to. And often they'll ask you if you work in children's um, uh, something to do with the school curriculum matching up with. I don't even yeah. know what they call yeah. like the Lex, oh, Lexile levels, Lexile levels, and, uh, and, and Pinnell levels. Right. So that is something they have to stay on top of. And with the early literacy, just to circle back to what Jonathan said. Uh, the thousand books before kindergarten program that we have here at the library where we encourage children before they enter it it could start as early as birth honestly Uh, you're reading to your children and you just keep a log and then you get this certificate and a little prize uh, once you hit a thousand books but it's just encouraging reading together and your children you know developing that love of books that's right that's right yeah and reading yeah yeah it's it's fascinating how much they have to keep in their minds of managing their own collection. It's wild because in adult, you know, everything's written for adults. Right. Children's has to worry about the reading level, which I, there are probably 10 That's levels right. or something like right. the Lexi levels. Uh, it's every letter of the alphabet. Every, so A to Z. Uh, well, and then Lexile is like hundreds to thousands, to, but that goes through high school, Lexile. But so, so does not, only, not only do they have to manage uh, subject matter, but they have to know the reading level. Yeah. Um, and then most of the time, you know, a kid can't even phrase what there is they're looking for. An adult will come and say, I'm looking for a mystery novel that has a female protagonist. You know, that's okay. Those are some keywords I know I can look for. A kid will come in and be like, well, it's got this like truck and it has a blue cover. And, and uh, but the children's librarian will know. Like, know. Oh, you're yes. talking about yeah, little blue. Too. Yeah. <laughs> and even with the picture books, which are a whole entity among, mm. upon, and those are you know so um, so much more complex than people. For, you know, you think it's a picture book. You know, you just. Yeah. But there's so much put into the artwork and the the way that the words are printed, the word, the colors, the, you know, all yeah. of these are, you know, helping child development. And it, it's a lot for a children's librarian to, um, to know. And with such ease that they deliver is just remarkable. So kudos to that department. I just wanted to say with teens, somewhat similar, 
one of the things you run into as a teen librarian is the reluctant reader, which I hate that phrase, but it, it is a real thing, especially sometimes you'll have teen burnout of they've got so much homework and they have so much reading to do for school that maybe an earlier love for reading starts to dissipate in the teen years. And as a librarian, you have to try to reignite that, uh, the love of reading and how important, how it can be such an important part of your life for good mental health, for, right. for right. education, for socialization, so many things that are, you know being a, a good reader can bring you. So one of my tricks, and you're going to laugh at this, Alex, because you know I'm not a video gamer, but when I was a teen librarian, uh, if I had a, a young, a young, usually a young boy, you know, middle school boy, and he had to read a book for school or a, a summer reading was usually the thing. You know, I had to read three books for summer. And he would come in with his mom. I, this is like uh, many times. And the mom would say, my son needs to read a book. And she would do all the talking. And I'd say, okay, can I, all the talking. And he would just be standing there or she would just be standing there. And I'd like separate the parent from the child just so I could have a, maybe get something about what they like. So my first question always was, look, what video games are you playing? So fortunately at the time, my son was a teenager. So I had some knowledge of what video games were. There we go. It right was just, there. and it really was just an icebreaker to like, mm-hmm. they we're surprised I would ask that question. Probably not so much now, but back then, you know, it was like, oh, okay. And some of the games I knew was just sort of just connecting the kid to the right book or, you know, it was always like, well, what kind of books? I, I want a short book. It has to be a hundred, a hundred pages was like a big request, like mm-hmm. short with big letters. And, you know, they, <laughs> teens are very tricky and they know how to like work the system of reading. But, um, a bit, you know, just getting them onto a series so that I knew if I could hook them into the first book, it would you know, they come back for the second book and the third book. And I used to keep little lists of books that I had given particular uh, patrons, uh, teen patrons. I have them on little post-its behind my desk so I could remember. So that when they came back, I would say, hey, Billy, how was whatever that book was? Oh, that's great. And it yeah. was, yeah. they really, you know, felt like I mattered to them. They do mm-hmm. matter. They did matter to me. And yeah. But I maybe couldn't naturally remember all those books. So <laughs> I would write them down. And then they felt like somebody cared about what they were what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so teens is a more even a more complexity uh, in a different way than children's of you know dealing with that that age group and and their specific needs. Yeah, reigniting the love of reading for pleasure as opposed to reading yeah. for. It's tricky work. because right. sometimes it's really. I don't want to read any. I'm done. I don't want to read. I'm, you know, it's not. It's boring. So it's this. True. You know. Yeah. So and, yeah. and and even turning them onto audiobooks was a big. Now that at that time we really didn't have the podcast and you know all of the the things the resources we have now. But I remember saying, you know, you could play these. We had a lot of CD audiobooks. I'm like, you can play these in your PlayStation or whatever it was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I know you have one in your room. So like, why don't I? Mean, because the most of everybody had one. So that was another way. And also, and I encourage this to this day to anybody. I don't care if you were a child or a teen, an adult, a senior reading together with somebody and somebody reading aloud to you mm. is a magical thing. And yeah. um, I would often read to my son, even as a young adult, because it was a way for us to read together. I knew what he was reading. So I could we could talk about the book. If we were going on a car trip, I would not, I wasn't driving. I would read, I would, as a passenger, read to him and we would, I would put on the voices and we have like, we will still talk about the memories. Remember that book, um, The Contender? 
when I read that and I did all the sound effects. Um, <laughs> but they're, it's a bonding experience, and it, it's another good um, parents when the, of teens are concerned about the, what their children are reading. And why, when they were a young person, a child, you probably read the books because it took you five minutes and you knew exactly, but don't stop doing that. Keep reading with your kids and share. It's just such a great way to case in communication with your young adults. Um, so that's, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> so reader, we've talked a lot about reader's advisory. That's just one aspect of what a librarian does. It's, we're not just telling you where to find a book or what book you should read next. Um, we, off, we teach programs. Children's does uh, a lot of great programs. Teen does programs for teens. I do it programs for everyone, every, everyone, teens and adults. Um, so that's, at least me personally speaking, programming is a big part of my job. I think I do at least one or two programs a week, you know, anywhere between 10 and 12 for a newsletter. So it's, I'm always trying to offer new things. Um, you know, we still have the hits. People still need to know how to use Microsoft Office. People still <laughs> sure. need to know how to use sure. a computer. Yeah. Everyone could always use a refresher. Um, but I'm always trying to offer new things, trying to highlight new technologies when I can. I did a class on AI artwork recently. I'm going to do another one next newsletter. I'm trying to uh, to get teach classes on, on things that you might be interested in. You want to develop a little bit more. Audio editing, photo editing, video editing. You know, everyone wants to have a YouTube channel these days. Everyone thinks they're an influencer. <laughs> yeah. Why not make your content look a little bit nicer? That's right. So That's right. I'm trying to offer things like that. Um, but we, we do trips. We do tours. We do lectures. We do concerts. Help me out. We, we So let's talk about Morgan a little bit about what you're doing at the front desk. That would be interesting because you're not necessarily teaching classes. I know you have in the past. Yeah. But, you know, some people, they never make it past the front desk, right? So, you yeah. know, they just, so what's happening down there? Because we're kind of up here and you guys are down there. So I'm interested to yeah. hear in our little, your perspective. Uh, right. A little world of circulation and tech. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. There is a lot that goes on in that department, and there's a lot that I'm involved in on the daily. Um, so aside from running circulation and tech, I also manage the social media. So I coordinate with a team of people in the library, and we work together to create content for each department and for large events and stuff like that. Um, Alex has been involved in that with FanFest and all that stuff. Um, and that, so that's something that I do. Uh, I'll come up with ideas. I'll collaborate with my colleagues and we'll create content and post it on social media um, behind the promo posts for the podcast. So I'm always uh, infiltrating everybody who maybe have thwarted me in the past with wanting to be on camera, but I've gotten them. <laughs> um, so that's uh, one of the things and, you know, people don't realize how time time consuming being a content creator can be. And that's just a small aspect of my so daily toils. So and that's like a non-negotiable now where, again, yeah. 20 years ago, social media wasn't around or was that's in right. its infancy. Right. And now it's an integral part of uh, promotion and people, a lot of people get their information about the library um, just simply from Facebook or Instagram and not even our website or our newsletter, which are still really important tools, but using the social media as a, a way to get the message out and, and information to the community That's right. That's right. Um, is really, it's a non-negotiable. Like it's re and it's really important that we have, thankful we have a good coordinator with Morgan Absolutely. getting our message yeah. out. Aware, library awareness is going to only become more important as we go forward. So I, I would not be surprised if every library in the near future had a 
someone whose sole job is social media content co- coordinator content yeah, coordinator. Yeah, it's a lot it is yeah it's a full-time job in and of itself yeah. but you know we all have to wear multiple hats in this kind of field so i but i happily do it and i love it um and i also coordinate with um the full-timer in my department, we do museum passes and I coordinate with discount tickets. So we offer discounted tickets to patrons to go to like the Long Island Aquarium, Museum of Natural History, um, Long Island Science Center. And then we offer a bunch of museum passes that can be checked out, um, printed off, just displayed on your phone to go to a bunch of museums like around the island. Uh, We do offer the Empire Pass and you could take that to parks upstate and things like that to go hiking if you want to go on a day trip. And I coordinate the discount passes and stuff like that with the people that run them. Currently working with Cresley and uh, Viking Fleet out in Montauk Point for whale watching tickets for discount that are gonna be offered soon we're going to be it's going to be exclusive to Sayville Library and our patrons to start and we'll see where it goes from there but I'm super excited to have that opportunity new service coming your way that's breaking news everyone (laughs) breaking news (laughs) whale watching is happening for (laughs) Sayville this summer it's a between the shelves exclusive yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. you heard it first here it's great um, and I'm involved in outside events. I help Jonathan with the farmer's market. That's right. Uh, that's right. I've made library cards for patrons offsite. Yeah. Also, just someone to ask questions. Um, you know, people come up to the library at events and they're like, can you tell me about this? Or I'm having this issue with this account. I troubleshoot patron accounts all the time. If they're having issues with Libby, if they're having issues with other apps, for the most part, usually it's it's Libby Access and things like that. But I'll sit down with a patron and give them a tutorial. I know Alex probably does that all the time up in adults as well, but it is, it's a skill. It's a skill to be able to sit down with somebody that they're like, I don't know what's happening, but this is just not working. Can you figure it out? Yeah. I wanted to actually mention that in our last segment, you know, it's not always people who are coming to you desperate because they need some kind of social service. Right. Sometimes right. they just need help because they can't have a tech question ans- answered. Right. And they, they don't... can't figure out how to download the book or open a document. Right. It, it right. could be something is, you know, an email trouble or more complicated. But, um, you know, you're the only other place you can go if you don't have, you know, a niece or a nephew who knows how to do this thing or a son <laughs> or a spouse or something. You know, you gotta go to Best Buy. You gotta call the Geek Squad. You have, you're out a hundred dollars. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's a it's a lot. I enjoy it. I love troubleshooting that stuff because sometimes it's a little more complex than it should be. But a lot of times, I just enjoy explaining it. I like seeing people be excited that they understand it, and they're like, "Oh, it's that easy." I'm like, "Yeah, it is." Yeah, I was and like, sometimes don't you even learn head. something new too. Yeah, right? like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. And you're almost like a low key life coach, especially with people that are hesitant and they're like, but I sure. really want the audiobook or how Overdrive is gonna go away for all of you Overdrive lovers. Uh, Libby is gonna be the only app starting in a couple months. Right. Won't be able to use Overdrive. No more anymore. Overdrive app, everybody. So Switch many... over to Libby. Libby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's finally happening for reals. And. I think that um, people come in and they're hesitant to use it. They don't know how, and they just get 
played up in their head about it and you're kind of like go life coach mode and you're like you got this like you can do this yeah it's just a little support right yeah like i know you can do this like this is not complicated like what what do you do for work and then they're like oh i'm a doctor yeah you definitely got this (laughs) um and i think that you know that's another fun aspect of something that I still do daily. Um, I also do like a lot of staff support stuff where I do balance breaks. So I do walks outside, meditation sessions and stretching sessions for like office friendly stuff um, for staff. And I think that's huge because, you know, we support our communities, but we also need to support ourselves so that we don't get burnt out. Very true. And um and I think that's like a valuable thing. I'm also involved in sustainability, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Because uh, we don't, our assistant director, Tim, isn't here, but he's our head sustainable guy. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing we're going to be coming this summer, this spring, is um, a little native garden will be um, with the help of our partners at the Rotary. At the Sable Rotary Club. And the Sable Club. Garden yes, Club exactly. have contributed funds. Yeah. Garden to the creation too. and the garden club, right? Yeah. Are, uh, we'll be creating a native garden uh, meadow in the front of the library, which is very exciting. And it's just showing that we take uh, sustainability seriously mm-hmm. and we want to be an example to the community of um, how you can enact small little exactly. acts of sustainability exactly. that will yeah. make a big difference uh, you know, in the long run. Yeah, and it's nice to see how engaged our community is in yeah. that. Um, yeah, we've been collecting uh, soft plastics. So once we get to 500 pounds, we'll get a free Trek bench. You might have heard about it already. It's been in our newsletter. Um, and I think somebody mentioned it on the... But we have, every day, those bins are full of people. And it's yes, just so wonderful so to see patrons yeah. walking in, you know, stopping in before they go to work, just dropping off a garbage bag of plastic so that contributing to the efforts and... You know, I, each week it's just amazing. Uh, you know, I know I don't know what number we're up to, but I know we're two hundred. We just passed. We just passed two hundred pounds. I mean, think about how much plastic that is that we've we've we're being able to recycle just here in our in our library. It's great. Before you talk, Jonathan, I just want to say yeah, no, because it's interesting with the work that Morgan's doing. Um, sometimes it does overlap with Jonathan's work in mm-hmm. community yes. outreach, mm-hmm. and they work Definitely really does. well together, which yeah. is really nice. And yeah. as a library director. Um, just talking a little bit, because I am I was a librarian, I could still consider myself a librarian, but obviously I wear a different hat now. And it's just a wonderful, one of, one of the things I like to do is try to give as much autonomy to the professional librarians here as possible, because, and it's also important to find out what they're interested in, right? So Alex, we talked about that in your interview, like, what are you into? Like, we want... We want the right person to be in the right job. So if they're doing something they're actually interested in, they're going to be excited about it, and it's just going to keep growing. And so it's very important for me to hear from my staff what they are, what they care about, because we all have our daily tasks that we have to do that are yeah. that are work, right? But if we care about it, and it's so nice to see how everything sort of kind of overlaps. Like sometimes you're working with Alex because you're taking making video content but then mm-hmm. you're at the farmer's market with Jonathan because yeah, doing, he, outreach. doing outreach right, exactly right. so yeah. it's so and then or you could be working with teens doing community service absolutely you know Definitely coming up with a project for them special project so yeah it summer. just really yeah. is um a, a team effort all the way around and right. everybody's just super passionate about their work here so yeah I just wanted to say that so because it just it always just amazes me to see how you've all developed into your into your roles and 
you know, how wonderful. We all work together. It's great. Yeah, and I like, I really enjoy being able to bring, like, a librarian perspective down to the circulation department. Right. Because sometimes, like, I can start the conversation with a patron that might be in need, that might benefit from seeing Jonathan or one of the social workers. That's right. I can head them off and start the conversation with that. Or someone has a more in-depth question and maybe they don't look like they're going to make it up to adult services and... They just don't look like they can make it up the right. stairs, the elevator. It might just be a rough day for them, and they're like, I don't know. Or they just want to pop in, and if I'm like, oh, go upstairs, you can get more information, they're like, I'm just going to go. Right. Where I can easily, depending on what it is, I can answer the question, and I'm like, hey, like here's some information. Like Maybe next time when you stop in, you can go upstairs, and you can get like more in-depth stuff. Or if you want to explore it on the computer, we have the software, we have the materials that you need. And I also see stuff like... Um, we had a patron, so there are a couple patrons that I noticed that um, I think they're going for their captain's license. So I see them come in giant uh, tubes with a giant map on it. And yeah. they're yeah. like at a table in the study room studying because we have like the good sized tables for that. Right. And I noticed um, when I had walked outside that there was a tube in the uh, in the parking lot, and then one of them came down like in a you know they're like oh my god, right. where's my map? Because oh, I know no, like that's like a huge map. thing you can't lose that. Right. And um, I think that's fun, too. Like, I get to interact with the public. Yeah. Like, way. when so, are we ever going to meet somebody who's going for their captain license? Like, if you're not yeah. yourself, right? It's <laughs> interesting. Like, yeah. Meet people and, from all walks of life. Yeah. And I feel like you get to experience, like, that different stuff. And then uh, I do work on the reference desk once a, once a week and the occasional weekends. And recently, we had a patron. Um, he came in and the clerk that was working uh, told the guy he had to wait for me because it was a deep reference question. Mm. And I got so excited and he was like, I'm so sorry to imposing you. I was like, no, I live for this. But he was researching. I'll go into it later. And uh, when no, we I talk think this about would it. be great to go right into it. Right let's, let's take a quick break and okay. then we'll come back and we'll get into uh, to reference questions. Nice. Okay. Exciting. Sounds good. Okay, we're back. So Morgan, you kind of teed us up for the next segment. Um, We're going to be talking about some of our favorite or most interesting reference questions we've gotten while working on the desk. Morgan, we already interrupted you, so why don't you continue with your (laughs) your story. You can lead us off. Yeah, so so going back to that uh, weekend that I was working on the reference desk a couple weeks ago, we had a patron come in with a deep reference question. Uh, My favorite kind of question, because they don't come too often, but when they do, it's really fun and exciting. Um, So he was telling me this kind of information, you can't, like you need a librarian to find it. You're not going to come across it by yourself unless you're experienced in doing any kind of research and you know where to look. So um, pretty much he came in and his question was, I went to a lecture at the Maritime Museum and they were talking about a boat that had capsized um, off of Montauk in the 50s called the Pelican. And he wanted to know where the boat ended up being dry docked for the next, like, I don't know, 30 years until it was thrown away, essentially. Mm -hmm. So he had was talking to me about a specific Newsday article that was published in the 80s, he believed. Um, He didn't have the author information, so I couldn't I couldn't locate that exact article. But we do have through library. uh, Newsday archives so I could go back in there and I could start my search so I'm like pelican you know right. boat whatever and I'm, and he's giving me more information but he did have a lot of pertinent information dates the name of the vessel where it was um, and then we're figuring out where it went 
So I came across all these articles. So pretty much um, the pelican capsizing off the co- off of Montauk. It was a party fishing boat. It was, had a capacity for 20 people. It had 65 on it. Oh my it word. went down. Um, I think only 45 people survived. Oh my goodness. And it was, it was a catastrophe. There was yeah. a huge lawsuit involved. Um, the captain like went down with his ship. Like it was this whole thing. Wow. So that actually spearheaded a lot of the boat safety laws that we have today. Which is oh. really cool. So it, it makes sense why yeah, they're talking know. about it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize like how big in the news it was at the yeah. time. Um, so I'm going through articles. I'm getting like little bits and pieces of information. The story changes a little bit. The amount of people that you know, the amount of victims, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the boat, they kept saying like it was in a location, like just. But not naming the location. Yeah. Right. Which is what you were trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, he's like, we're so close. Like, it's somewhere. (laughs) And I'm like, I know. And uh, so I think like three or four articles in, I I finally found it. So the boat had been taken pretty much by the Coast Guard um, immediately over to Greenport. Mm -hmm. And it was dried off there in a shipyard. And then we got the name of the shipyard, and I forget the name of it, but it was like Sweet Something. So then you have to think, okay, where is that location today? Because right. it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. anymore so right then there. you can start to like go into things like, um, there's another resource that I like to use when I'm doing real estate research for people that's, called, that's like the Sanborn fire insurance maps. And the database is pretty decent. I couldn't get the time period that I was looking for, but... You can see, like, you know, it's not going to change so much from probably the early 1900s to the 50s out that far. Um, So you can kind of see, like, where the shipyard was. And then we had found that it developed into a condominium. And when the condominium company purchased that property, that's when the boat got tossed. Okay. When was that? What year was that? Uh, The 80s. So it was there for 30 years. Yeah, so the boat was just sitting there, um, just rotting away. And... Yeah, so it was, like, really interesting because I, you know, that was about an hour's worth of pouring through articles, learning about the story, more about the story, getting more information about the families involved and the lawsuits that ensued from this. Wow, wow. And the legislation that came from it. Like, I was like, wow, this is a very pivotal, like, pivotal moment for for the boating community, especially on Long Island and in New York State. So, yeah, I had a really good time with that, and I... I used to work in a city library, so I used to do a lot of um, microfilm, like going back into old, like New York Times Sunday stuff. The archives. Yeah. I used to manage that collection. It was so much fun. I go into old city directories, and a lot of people don't, or maybe some people remember, but I didn't know that like phone numbers used to have letters in them, and they were only like six digits long or something like that. And, um, and in a, in a city directory in the beginning, you could look up someone's name and then you can see what they did for a living and where they worked. And then you'd go like to the census. second half. That's yeah. interesting. And then you go yeah. to the second half and they have um, their address, who they were married to. And wow. Sounds like early version of the internet. Yeah. It's like, yes, yeah. Really and I was like, wow, this is very, very, um, very like robust information. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, wow, you could really stalk somebody. Like, right. <laughs> know where they were like you just get this book um or go to the library and look at it uh but it was really um it's really interesting and i get a lot of enjoyment out of it but you know it was very 
it was very cool to hear a patron be like, I could not get this information without you. And okay. most job, people could not get that. So yeah, it was that's a good day. It's a good time. So that's my, I have others, but I'll let someone else go. <laughs> <laughs> Reference all-star. That was a great yeah. one. Yeah, that was yeah. seriously, oh my goodness. <laughs> I think one of the things that has been, uh, one of the questions, and, and it's recent, but this one will stand out in my mind for a very long time. Uh, I had a, a patron come in and they were coming in for someone in their family and uh, they needed recovery help. And it was it just a really poignant time where someone came to the library and felt comfortable enough to really share some details of the backstory of their life and their family's life and how to seek some help. And uh, that was one of the most rewarding things that I could have ever done was to provide them with a whole sheet of resources of where to get help on on a few different life issues and I knew that that was gonna go back home and it was going to make a difference uh, in in someone's recovery and in, in their life so that was really exciting uh, you know and I'm being vague on the details because I, I need of to course, be but yeah. but that's that's what's so exciting about what we do like we're, we're truly impacting people's lives you know yeah. for the for the good and then uh, you know another another question that I had came from, believe it or not, a community group, because a lot of my job is is involved in going out to community groups and listening, listening in their meetings and finding out what their needs are. And uh, there was a particular group that needed um, a work on, a, a workshop on grief work, grief resources. And so we created a, a program on, on grief uh, during the holidays and really helpful for the patrons that attended that. And then out of that, someone had a question about, you know, I'm, I used to cook for a family and now I'm just cooking for one and I don't know how to cook for one. I'm used to cooking for a family and how do I do that in a healthy way without just buying processed stuff all the time? And so they wanted to know where they could get info on that and I said, I have a network of people that I could turn to and just through community outreach contacts I was able to go to Northwell Health and the dietitians at Northwell Health at South Shore University Hospital picked up on that request and said, we can absolutely do a program on healthy eating for one, and we'd be happy to come to the library to do it. And we literally just had that program this past week. Uh, we had 17 people there. and That's uh, great, Yeah, the chefs from the hospital were yeah. there, and they were excited. And then, then the, uh, the registered dietitian was there from Southside, you know, from yeah, South Shore yeah. University Hospital, answering all sorts of questions on how to prepare something healthy without having to make a ton of it, right. and how to find small portions and, and do it quick and easy. Uh, and you know that helps people live a healthier life when they can cook something quickly that's healthy for them. They're going to follow through with it, and that was just exciting. And that all came from came from a grief workshop. Yeah, and it turned into this like really great workshop yes, for yes. so many people in the community. And there's a part two for that workshop okay. coming up on April 10th, so make sure you sign up now for that one. It's up people that don't like leftovers. That's right. That's exactly I right. I don't like leftovers. <laughs> and thank you, Northwell. I know. <laughs> that's great. Oh, boy. I almost wanted to skip me now because mine's I kicked out of a silly one, and everyone else is so well, hard. You can be silly, silly, silly. We need a little silliness. Right. I have a, a follow-up silly yeah. one to your Everybody's going to talk about the silly question, so yeah. go ahead. All right. Well, here's mine. Okay, so someone came up. This was my first year as a librarian, and I was alone at the desk. I shouldn't have been alone at the desk. Uh, that's how I knew I was. <laughs> not and, at this uh, library. No, not at this okay. library, Ooh, okay. no. <laughs> Jen, Jen would not let that fly. Okay. This man came up to me and he said, um, I'd like to win the New York lottery. How do I do that? <laughs> and what did 
you say? Please tell me you know the answer. <laughs> I, of course I know the answer. <laughs> so I said, uh, give me a minute. I'll... <laughs> like, right, stand by. <laughs> yeah. So first I think I'm being pranked. I'm like looking right. around for like, like the librarians. Like, 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 hiding behind a fern, still laughing at me. <laughs> so I go to the New York Lottery website and I'm pouring through their annual reports, trying to get any information I can give this guy. <laughs> Because um, he's just standing there staring at me, straight face. Serious yeah. as all get out. <laughs> I'm reading their annual reports. They're not giving me any like winning ratios or anything I can go off of. I'm like, oh god. So, but I see in fine print on like page 47 or something, like all of our winning numbers and all the totals, everything we have to report to the state because it has to be taxed and everything. So, it goes to the New York State Lottery Commission. Oh right. Okay. Uh, so the New York State Lottery Commission has to track all winnings, the locations, and the businesses of where those winnings take place. Ooh. So I go onto newyork.data.gov, go through all their data. They have a million databases. You can only imagine how much they're tracking. So I find the lottery. I find all this information. I download all the spreadsheets. They're hundreds of pages long, and I run um, I run lists, uh, sorting lists in the Excel spreadsheet to find out. What are the most common winning combinations of numbers? You are too much. And I find out what zip codes have the most winning per capita. Okay, so you're trying to really give him the best odds. I'm trying to give him the best odds. And I even found out uh, what scratch-offs have the highest winning per month dollar spent on the tickets. So for all of our Between the Shelves listeners, you're going to get a scoop. If you want to win on a scratch-off, um, the winning ones are the Instant Take 5s, the $2 and the $10 tickets. Okay. Those are the, Those are the, the highest, highest winning odds. Highest odds. Okay. Um, I can't help you with winning numbers. I'll have to pull that information again. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, you'll have to come to the reference desk and ask, and I'll have to do yeah. all this work again. <laughs> I think very uh, thankful. Or what was his response to all of this information? He just said thank you and left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, he did. Yeah. <laughs> he was that just personality. Yeah. I right, think right, he was right. just like, this is the data I was looking for. Goodbye. And like, just like, <laughs> he never saw him again because he's he a probably won. Yeah, yeah, he's probably on his yacht right won. now. Oh you know, God. you should have requested like payment. Like I should receive about twenty five percent of yeah. your winnings. Should yeah, you right. Alex, that's so impressive. I don't know any other librarian that would probably have taken that track on that question, and I'm so happy you did because it's actually really interesting, the, the facts that you found. So I just wanted to mention a fact before I tell my little story. So last year, the Save the Library um, answered 21,701 reference questions. Wow. So wow. that's a lot. It's, well, we call them reference transactions, um, but we do tally. We, we love statistics in the library, so we, we keep track of everything. So I just want to say that number again, 21,701 reference questions for the entire library for that's the crazy. last year. So that being said, you guys are working hard. Um, I haven't been a reference librarian for nearly 10 years, as I mentioned, so I couldn't really remember a specific question. I'm sure there were many, I just don't remember. But I do remember one particular encounter with um, who will be my forever favorite patron, Leo from uh, the West Islip Library uh, when I worked there as an adult slash teen librarian. So Leo was an elderly gentleman. I think he was 90 plus. And he would, he was a widower and he would come into the library and play chess on online computer, just pretty much every day, all day, as often as he could. Um, he lived alone. He was, um, 
an immigrant. And I think he was from, I think he was Ukrainian, if I'm remembering correctly. So his English wasn't the best and he was extremely hard of hearing. So to visualize Leo, he looked like the guy from the movie Up. And I know you've probably heard that oh before, but that's what Leo looked oh like. He was just really oh this sweet little elderly man. So I always kind of had an eye at him when he would come in. And, you know, I'd always like, if he wanted to read the paper, I'd put it aside for him. And But he didn't really talk a lot. His English was difficult, but it really more the hearing was, was problematic yeah. for him to hear me. So when... I think it was Christmas came and he was in the library and I was like, he's not going to get any gifts. I, you know, I was just started getting really sentimental. I'm like, this guy is all alone. So I just bought him the tiniest box of chocolates because ones I was giving like to my colleagues for a little Christmas, yeah. like a yeah. little stocking stuffer. It was like probably like three Hershey kisses. So I just like slid in in front of him and he was like, no, no, no. And I said, no, it's for you. And then the next day, I get very emotional because it was like, I really cared about this guy. He came back the next day and he had a gift for me. And he had gone through the house and just took things that were like um, sentimental things for him oh, and that were his oh. wife's that he brought me. Like one was a little candle and there was like a, a little tiny window uh, stained glass thing that you can hang up in the window. And then the, uh, the best prize in the box was a bowling trophy. Uh, from 1970 something a woman's bowling tournament that his wife had won this bowling tournament oh and it kind of looked like a candy dish so i still have that bowling i'll bring it in to show you guys uh, maybe i'll take a picture of it you can put it on the yeah, podcast um and he gave me that and i was like so Aww. from then on out we became like we friends right we're this sure. friend like he would always sure. come make sure he said hello to me goodbye when the spring came he brought me daffodils every week from his garden and put them on the reference desk Aww. And then I um, got a new job and I knew I was going to have to be leaving. So um, his, I've, his vision was also really bad. So I was like, I have to tell Leo I'm going. So I wrote him a letter just saying, Leo, I got a new job. I'm going to be a library director in um, another library. And it, you know, it, was, it was wonderful to get to know you and serve you. And I wrote it in really big print. And I, I couldn't even face him because I just loved him. And I was like, so, so I like just left it for him. And I gave him my email because I knew he knew how to email because he was playing Yahoo Chess or something. So I knew he knew how to do yeah. like that. Yeah. So he, he, uh, I left, started my new job a couple of weeks later, and he had asked the librarians at Westside Sub, like, when, when is our first day? When is? And so on my first day of work, he emailed me and sent me this beautiful, like, supportive, encouraging, like, have a great, you're going to be so great at this job. So we became little pen pals for oh, the next few years. Goodness. And eventually Leo did pass away and it was, oh. it was sad, but it was just one of those things that, um, you know, it was really simple, very uncomplicated relationship. And sometimes you do, we all have those patrons that kind of like touch oh. us in a, yeah. in a certain way. And, and I love that guy. He was awesome. And um, a lot of my friends who were listening to this will remember my stories of Leo because we had a couple of other ones. But that, that's my little anecdotal story of why I love working in libraries. Yeah. yeah. I that's, like that. That's great. Best job I've ever had. We'll say yeah. that. Yeah, same. <laughs> I feel same. like working with the public is such a, it's such a rewarding and interesting, like, space to work in. Because, you know, not everybody works with the public, but... Yeah. It's a you gift. get a little bit of everything and you learn that people are so different and exciting and interesting and there's so much that you can learn from other people that are different from you. If you like, you know, and I feel like working in, with the public has given me that 
where if I had had a different kind, had been in a different field or a different job or something like that, like you're just surrounded by kind of the same mm-hmm. or more of the same or similar things like that, where we're, you would have never met someone no. like Leo who impacted your life right. in such a meaningful way yeah. and a simple way. You know, if yeah. you, it's good to be, work in it's good to be side. out of your bubble. Yeah. yeah. It's good right. to be in a place where you're not entirely comfortable all the time because you yeah. get to learn new things and you get right. a better yeah, look at the four people sitting in this room I, I don't know a lot of occasions where we're, we're all from such different backgrounds aside from being librarians right we're yeah. all really different demographics and ages and and yet we all have i would consider friendship and you know real fellowship with with our staff and with our community Absolutely. right and that's yes. what yes. really yes. helps us yeah, propel exactly. us forward True. it's great yeah what a nice sentiment to end the podcast yes. on. Yeah, it is a good one. Love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> We're the best. You're the best. We All love right. what we do. Yeah, thank you for listening to our uh, to our listeners. And if um, this was, again, just something to close on, um, this was from that, the TED Talk that I mentioned. I'll put it, I'll link to it in the show notes. But he said the best way to support a library is um, if you're coming to a program, come a little bit early and walk around, see what's going on. Take a friend to the library. Tell somebody about your experience at the library. Because the more exposure people have to the library, the more they love it. Anyone who comes here becomes an instant convert to how great the library is. So, absolutely. Spread the, spread the love. Spread the word. Spread the news. Very true words, very true <laughs> words. That's all we got, thanks. Thanks, Alex. Right. Thanks, everyone, thanks, Bye. Alex. Bye.